This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, when was the last time you were scared? I'm always scared. Did you know jackrabbits have a nearly 360 degree field of vision, which is why they startle so easily, because they can actually see predators from nearly everywhere. I googled I, that once. I must, that's like me on dates, actually. It's like anything. <laughs> uh, uh, what's this? What is, what's going on now? I would imagine... Commitment? No. Yeah, I would imagine you need to watch out for predators. <laughs> Why was jackrabbits the first thing that jumped to mind? Are you scared of rabbits? Uh, what's going on? No, I, you know, I think Emerson once asked me about rabbits, and I googled it because I wanted to see <laughs> how high they could jump, and jackrabbits mm. in Alberta can jump up to 20, 12, 20 feet, something obscene, like unrealistic apparently that's true and then in that wiki hole i learned about their eyeballs i'm also scared about eyeballs so i guess that's, that's you ever great. Eaten fish eye? the course fish eyes are pretty good you know we're in the middle of spooky season dave so i'm, I'm i have a feeling that if i don't get scared to death i'm gonna get very close to it mm. Mm. just call me jessica just call me angel in the morning On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm scared. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today... We're going to be watching the film, Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Spooky. Jessica, I'm calling on all the spirits of everyone who's ever died in this house. Jessica. Paramount Pictures presents Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Now, of course, Dave, we need to give a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. I think we can do this pretty quickly. Dave, what is your history with this film? Nothing. I've never heard of it. I don't want to watch it. Sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. See, this is the difference between you and me, is that I want to watch everything. <laughs> Truly. It's like, I want to watch the bad movies, the good movies, the mediocre movies. I just want to have the, the knowledge of, of having gone through it. And especially with a title like this, it, for me, seems it has to go one of two ways, which is, it's gonna be, this is going to be the dumbest thing I'm going to sit through. 
or it's going to be like a cult classic, like cheese ball thing that I'm going to love. So we'll see. We'll see which way I, I end up. I think it'd be a fascinating a research paper on the intersection between really shitty and cult classic. That, that'd well, be an interesting Venn yeah, diagram. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about this, I think, in our Godzilla episode and even Omega the Planet Man. of the Apes episode. Apes, yep. It, it's the hardest thing. It's like, it's a, almost like talking about comedy, right? It's like, well, this made me laugh. Well, this didn't make me laugh. And it can be the same thing. And it's just really hard to define why this works for some people and why it doesn't work for other people. I find cult classics are the same thing. Like, I have a lot of joy watching Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, I can admit it's not a good movie. But man, is it fun to watch, especially with an audience. But then there's other things like The Room, which is like, I can't even watch five minutes of this. This is so awful that I, I just don't even see the enjoyment in, inside of it. So it, it's just that thing. It's, 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 it's an all or nothing for me. Yeah, speaking to my bias, I don't like and respect horror movies, so I'm sure this week, this <laughs> okay. month will be... We need to break that down. Yeah. You have to tell me why. Well, I think I don't understand... You know, actually, uh, when is this coming out soon? Helen and I are trying to watch The Squid Game on Netflix, and mm, she keeps mm -hmm. asking me, why can't we turn this off? Because it's not like that enjoyable it's pretty gruesome and <laughs> stressful just, I, I i will say as of this recording i've only seen one episode and to the uh, end? it's pretty brutal it's pretty brutal <laughs> like pretty gr gross in some uh, cases so i think if a horror movie uh, or something in that genre were to interest me it would be something that would i think like squid game try to ask deeper psychological mm. questions philosophical questions about what would you do in this situation but my assumption about horror movies, it's like gore for gore's sake. Like we watched Blair Witch and I just don't respect that movie. So there, yeah, there's there a spectrum. Be. I think uh, I, like, I agree. People can write their letters to me if they want. But I really dislike the vast majority of the Friday the 13th movies for that exact reason. It is just an excuse to watch Jason with machete go through a bunch of women and kill them. And for me, that is not super entertaining at all. However, the first Halloween movie, which I can't stop talking about, which kind of inspired all of those movies, I will, I will be the first one to admit, does something a little bit different. I am never supposed to be uh, rooting for the bad person. I, I don't know if there's any more philosophical things to that movie either. Like, really, the tension there and the fun of that movie is you have your main character being smart and trying to escape this unstoppable force and there's just something that i find fascinating about that and uh, scary about that too for sure i mean that's a good description of this podcast i don't know if i need a horror movie to scare me in order to like it but i, I know you probably have not watched any of them I'm, I'm actually curious just based on what you want a horror movie to be how you feel about some of the more modern like a24 horror films like the witch or hereditary or Midsummer, the ones that are getting like huge critical like praise for exactly that, <laughs> where it's like, oh, it's elevated horror is their name for it, which is like, it's just it's a horror movie. You can just call it a horror movie. But <laughs> well, I mean, I I haven't watched any of them, but even uh, Jordan Peele's, I had them all bookmarked, right. wish list. I don't think uh, Get Out's on Netflix anymore. I as we've discussed, I can't even remember on or off mic. I have to watch movies that everyone in the family can watch. So even if right. I wanted to jump in there, that would have to be sneaking around somewhere. So I haven't actually tried out 
uh, yeah, woke horror or whatever you want to call it. But uh, <laughs> there's actually a lot of names for a lot of that stuff. They like to call it cottage core. Weird. Because <laughs> it's all it's all set in like the 1800s at most of uh, the time. So everyone's like dressed up in like old folksy period things and stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah. And I also grew up in the 80s and 90s. So horror at that mm. time was, you know, it's cartoon. It was, that was the slasher genre. Yeah. That was like slasher central. Nightmare, Elm Street and all that stuff. Mm. And I, I think I watched, I've watched a few horror movies in my tw- tweens and teens and I hated all of them. I uh, can't sleep. I have an overactive <laughs> imagination. And then I start questioning why. Why do people pay to have anxiety for a week? <laughs> True. Well, no, I get that. I get that. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That, uh, that is something that I sometimes enjoy the feeling. One of my other favorite horror films from recent years is this film called It Follows. And to spoil the premise Ooh. a little bit, it's, it's a bit reductive to say that it's a film about STDs, but that's, that's sort of kind of what it is. Um, <laughs> if there's anything horrifying, that, it's the... Uh, Grade 10 phys ed class where they show right. you photographs of STDs. Now that's horror. And then wheel in like the little AV unit and show you a, a VHS cassette of the 1950s. And it's like, let's talk about venereal disease. Here's a photograph of advanced, uh, whatever, gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. And you're like, oh my God, is I that what that say, looks like? <laughs> did they ever show you like the birthing video in high school biology class? No, we got more just the uh, STDs where you have the cauliflower penis and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cauliflower penis was my high school nickname, but no, the, the birth of they actually show like huh. what birth looks like. Just a natural, like regular birth. And boy, when, and they didn't tell us that that's what the video was either. Oh, so no. I was like, whoa, like what is happening here? That oh, yeah. did scar me for a little bit. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I've, I've seen one. I know you've actually been there in real <laughs> life. Um, so it follows is this horror film where there is this creeping thing that only you can see that takes the form of any human. So it doesn't have the like one form it's of any human that will come to you. The only way for you to have that stop coming at you to kill you is to have sex with somebody. And then it goes to the next person. Right. However, however, if that person dies and it just goes to the last person in the chain. Wow. <laughs> right. So that's the, that's the whole concept that the setup of that movie. I love that movie because as you get like into the midpoint to third point, you don't know if there's anyone in the background. Is that the thing that's coming towards them? And they really play with that. It's like, no, it's just someone walking down the street and it's terrifying because then you leave that movie and go out and it's like, but who is it? Yeah, <laughs> who is it that's going to come for me and get me type of thing? Or going all the way back. Like, I don't think it is really scary anymore, but you look at the original Psycho and people were afraid to, to like get into the shower yeah, right yeah. after that because you couldn't see anyone that was coming into the room for you. There are those seminal movies that seem to like strike fear of certain situations just when you thought it was okay to get back in the water, right? And there's like the Jaws sequel that comes out. I was just, When you're describing it follows, it reminded me of... Uh... That Denzel Washington movie where the devil can go to different bodies. John Goodman, Denzel Washington. and That's not, that's not deja vu. That's something no. else. No, I don't remember. And they sing that, uh, so time is on my side. <laughs> is it? No? Nothing? I don't remember. I don't know if oh. I've even seen that movie. Oh. Um, I think that might be considered a horror movie. Weird. Anyways, Weird. I'm just saying that I like this the situation of sometimes, you know what I think it is? I think why I like horror films so much is that it's a simulated version of being scared. Like, I don't like being scared in real life. Like, I have been in car accidents. Um, 
I mean, you're a parent. If you've ever like lost your kid for a little bit, like that is the most terrifying thing in the, in the world. Those situations do not like them, do not like to uh, replicate them. Yet in a movie form, because I know that it is a fiction, it's like, okay, I, I have that emotion, but it, it's, in, it's in a controlled environment. And therefore, uh, I can somewhat take pleasure in, it, in, in the simulation of it rather than the actual emotion of it. Just like I like to cry at movies. I don't like crying in real life in front of people, but uh, I just watched Come From Away on Apple TV the other night and had a good happy cry over it. I, you know, I think that might be the distinguishing line, which is that I do not have the ability to turn it off. And mm. I think that even when I watch a drama or an action film or sci-fi, particularly sci-fi, I mean, maybe I like sci-fi more for this reason, same thing, except I don't turn it off. So I live in uh, an abstract world. I mean, and then we I are it. on a spaceship right now, Dave. We are living the right? sci-fi life. And uh, and then, yeah, I ended up I end up kind of trying to apply that uh, veneer on everything. And I, maybe this is why, even as a especially as a young person, having watched a slasher film, I'm like, I walk downstairs into a, a, the basement of my parents' place, and they, they used to have a mirror right at the stairs, and the lights are mm. shit. And so you're like, I don't, you know, I don't want to admit at the time that this is creeping me out, but I don't want to go downstairs because I just watched a movie where everybody's cutting each other up to pieces for no reason. And uh, I don't need that in my life. No, I I get that. I have a vivid, vivid memory. I don't even remember what film it was that we were watching. Anyways, it ends. Um, I have to go outside quickly to do some chore stuff on the, on the farm. It was sometime in the winter. So, you know, it's dark at 5 p.m. <laughs> Anyways, coming back, my brother had locked the front door. Oh, my God. And so I couldn't get in. I was like, oh. But then... I heard, and I distinctly remember, and this is an overactive imagination probably, but I heard a growl oh, behind God. me, but I could see the dog in the porch in front of me. So I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? And then that's just me like pounding on the door, like, let me in, let me in, let me in. Because yeah. of course it's a werewolf that's behind me that's going to like rip me a piece. I mean, it's me Alberta, the uh, land of werewolves. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, skinwalkers. I, yes. I, I don't like that stuff, but I'll watch people murder each other apparently. So yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and to be ultimately fair to you, Dave, which I hate doing, but to be fair to you, Setting there are precedent. so many shitty horror movies. There are a <laughs> of ton of shitty horror movies, mostly because like, if you look through the history of cinema, I mean, we've had now both hosts of Scream Scene on our podcast yep. and Ben and Sarah, their podcast is going through chronologically every horror film ever made. I've seen so many fucking awful 1950s horror movies. <laughs> at this point it's like oh my god like it's like that is just a paper mache mask thing that you <laughs> yeah. you know are trying to make scary because you had five dollars to make this movie but i think that is a recurring thing and i think why so many directors first start directing horror or when it's your first mm -hmm. short film you decide to do a horror film because they're super cheap to make you can right. get fake blood or make fake blood really easily you can use darkness as your friend like there's a reason why studios and people continue to make them because they're cheap to make. And I, but I think that as we saw with like Duel and I would say with even Jaws with Spielberg or some of these other people, I would put John Carpenter on that list. But of people like, okay, I don't have a lot, but I can still make something great with what I have. Talent transcending the budget. But right. yeah, to your point, yeah, the lower barrier of entry. But I mean, we'll see. Maybe, 
maybe this movie will surprise us and be really yeah, good. Maybe it will, Dave. Who knows? <laughs> uh, here's one last thing. What are you, Columbo? I guess I didn't mention how I even heard of this movie. Right. Because up until, I would say a month ago, I had never heard of this movie in my entire life. The only reason this jumped in why I was so surprised the machine picked it is that I listened to another podcast that is very much more successful than ours called Blank Check, who are going through the films of John Carpenter currently. And they got to the Halloween episode, which is like over three hours long. It's a very long episode. But the person they brought in was like this film historian. And he spent like the first hour and a half detailing like horror up until 1979. It was super fascinating. What he was bringing up is that especially during the late 60s into the mid 70s, there were all these things kind of happening at once. There was this stuff happening in Italy called the Giallo films, which were like the precursors to slasher films. There were these new horror film directors and horror films coming out that were all, uh, they, they were getting a lot of respect from critics, kind of surprising. They were talking like Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, but they were all to do with like possession. It was, it's weird how all of them had to do with possession. Uh, that was going on. And then there was this film, which was sort of combining some of those elements together. And then it's ultimately Halloween again, that kind of takes all of these disparate things puts it into one film and then kind of makes this boom happen as far as horror in the eighties. Cause that's kind of where it all pays off. So I was like, let's hear Justin. What is this movie? This sounds like wild. The name is the only thing that they know about this movie. However, the machine has told us that we should also tell about our history with vampires, Dave. So what's your history <laughs> with vampires? Well, I met one back in yeah. 1984. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Tilda Swinton, I'm pretty sure is one. Yeah. But. I mean, I mean, if anybody is, if anybody as well, it's probably Tom Cruise. I am. Um, <laughs> and Timothy Chalamet, the three <laughs> canonical vampires of Hollywood. I'm trying to, I mean, vampires, because of cartoons and serial are just part of, you know, uh, Me and Chocula go back. We, you know, we went to college together. <laughs> the Count. Everybody knows the Count. Uh, yeah, so vampires are always around. Um, the first semi-serious vampire movie, oh, Lost Boys, maybe. And then, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, maybe which I, I, the I can say, I, That is a divisive film, which I rewatched recently. And? The Lost Boys in the last year. I think it rips. It is so <laughs> bonkers crazy. Like, you'd probably hate it now, but it's like, why is there... A half naked guy playing the saxophone. What are these people doing? <laughs> why is anything in this movie happening? And I loved it. <laughs> well, that's why I launched the careers of so many uh, yeah people. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Like between, I mean, I don't even know when I would have watched Lost Boys because that would have come out when I was eight or what is that? Yeah, 1984, something. 1986, Some, yeah. early 80s. Yeah. yeah. So I must have watched it after. So maybe it's Interview with the Vampire. I have no idea. Blade was great, but that's Blade, 2000, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, or 98 or something. It doesn't hold up, by the way. The uh, yeah, ending is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? I, uh, and then as far as the lore, just reading books. Yeah, the, the lore is the, is the weird one. It's like what I love so much about culture sometimes. Like, why is this the stuff that you know, carries over? Yeah. Because, you know, like Dracula is often considered like, oh, like this, this huge novel that comes out in 18 i think 97 anyways late late 1890s and that really changes the perception a lot of time of like what a vampire is and really sets the rules quote unquote the rules right. of what vampires can and can't do 
which then I think it's cemented when in 1930, the original Dracula film comes out with Bela Lugosi, which is the only reason why so many vampires have the quote unquote Transylvanian accent, uh. which is just the Hungarian accent of Bela Lugosi. It's the only reason nowhere else in fiction was that a thing. It's just because they cast Bela Lugosi. His eyes were super dreamy, though. I think, though, like, even in those original tales in the 1800s, if you actually read them, I'm actually a big fan of the Dracula novel. <laughs> I think it's really, really good. But I'm a weirdo who likes Victorian literature. So there you go. The there is this subtext of not just like overt sexuality, like what vampire and vampirism is, is really like there's a lot of, to put it crassly, a lot of sucking involved in different locations. Yes, it's blood primarily, but then you're like beholden to this person. Like there's a lot of like weird relationships and siring and stuff that goes on. And like Anne Rice made a whole career of that with Interview of a Vampire and all the sequels that she wrote in those books. But not just the sexuality is there, but also like homosexuality, lesbianism, like all that stuff is like subtext because they couldn't write about it in the late 1800s. Um, but it's there. Like if you want to like really pick it apart, it, it, it's there. I think a lot of people have been exploring that in more recent years about like, I mean, watch the interview with a vampire film. And al although they couldn't go all the way, like those are gay vampires. Tom, Tom <laughs> they just, and Bradder. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're doing Tom Cruise won't say that he is, but it's like, I mean, it, you, it is like, like it's not even a real subtext yeah, in those I mean, movies. If we didn't get canceled, we just offended master Tom. So we're, we're going to be in trouble here. Um, well, I'm sorry. We have to do this. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what, what do they call him in blade? The uh, familiars, you right. know, yeah. And, yeah. You know, all that stuff's interesting. I, I like how they, depending on who's writing it, all those little tropes, right? Garlic, sunlight, holy water, mm. all that kind of fun stuff. But um, yeah, vampires are interesting. I, I like them. Better than zombies. Better than mutant That's zombies. I think, yeah. I think Twilight has really hurt the rise of the vampires and why in, have in many, sparkles? many ways. You don't need sparkles, right? Well, well, I tried sparkles. to watch it. I tried to watch it. I tried to give it well, a chance. I tried, I tried to read it, Dave, and I lasted five <laughs> pages. I was like, no, I just... And you know me. It's like I wasted my time on so many things. And I was like, I can't. I no. can't waste my time with this. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Vampires are just interesting to use as that allegory for so many things. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. in the classic pantheon of the, the universal horror films, right? You have your three big ones, which is Frankenstein. You have Dracula and you have the Wolfman. Wolfman was always there as like the allegory to um alcoholism right <laughs> that's that's what they use it for all the time which is something that you're compelled you don't want to succumb to it but you succumb to it like every full moon become an animal right uh whereas frankenstein was all about like playing god right like mm. the folly of man trying to control nature too much it always goes out of control it's like well maybe this time it won't happen though like that's basically what every frankenstein movie is like yeah my dad did it this way but maybe i won't <laughs> and then it, then it happens and then vampire or vampires and dracula have always been used as i guess the other scares like the 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 seducer right it's mm. like the, that Lust. overtly like sexual beings uh, sexually preyed upon whether you're male, female, whatever it happens to be. Seven sins, baby. So those are the analogs that you can use inside of that fiction however you want. Yeah, what about what about gluttony? The blob? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the blob <laughs> is. Um, and then, of course, the creature from the Black Lagoon is sloth. So mm. we, we have most of the... <laughs> just doesn't seven. do anything. 
right? Yeah. Just doesn't do anything. Actually, the, the original um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, I always recommend people watch it because it's actually very beautiful, the underwater photography. Anyways, um, that's all we need to probably talk about here tonight. Now, this is actually way longer than I thought we were going to talk we about. We need filler because I have not a lot to say about the movie we haven't <laughs> not, watched yet. Not that, we haven't, not that we've watched it yet. So let's do this, Dave. Let's go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking way more about Let's Scare Jessica to Death. All right, Dave, we're here in the ad read section. We are contractually obligated, of course, to talk about our great and many sponsors. <laughs> wow. We're... <laughs> We sound grateful. <laughs> do you think? I, do you think you're just rubbing way too much on me now, Dave? You know, that you're you're making I, me way too much, way too cynical. I've been uh, noticing on the YouTubes that I am definitely having an impact in your life, which I'm very proud of. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just really glad that I was able to make your life worse, Kyle. This has been a really better, great better, more religion. critical. <laughs> I'm watching this crap. Right? I'm becoming patient mm -hmm. with shitty movies. I actually <laughs> watched so two Godzilla movies before, yeah. uh, eight movies, you know, so we're, uh, we're, uh, we're harming each other. It's fine. I am really impressed <laughs> that you made it through the entirety of Godzilla versus Hedera. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. The only one I've given up on was a million dollar duck. And I think we both My. agree that you should have as well. I should have stopped too. Yes. Um, Here's the thing. Colin Day vs. The Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Some of those Alberta-based businesses and or organizations include Park Power, which is our first sponsor this week. We are brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, who... Get this, Dave. You won't. You. This is off the chain. No. All right. It I offers just don't internet. Get it. Yeah. It offers electricity. What? It offers natural gas, and what? not just that, but with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Oh, I like that. No word on who those local charities are, but uh, local charities hey, nonetheless. If we ever turn a profit, we should attribute, <laughs> you know. A small yeah. percentage of it to a charity, namely uh, my kid's RESP. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Kyle Marshall LLC. And um, here's the thing, though. We're all looking to save money. And in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. This is a slide pivot here. Um, if you are listening in a country outside of Canada, mm. Mm. I'm going to say maybe it's this is true in other places, but in Canada... There are actually places where you don't get to choose. You That's have right. to use the government-mandated provider. Mm -hmm. But in Alberta, we don't care about your stinking rules. We want liberty. We freedom. We want liberty. We want capitalism here, Dave. <laughs> and so Park Power has low overhead, which is good for me at six foot four. Uh, and in turn, allows them to offer low competitive rates. And you can reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing the following address. Estimates at parkpower.ca that's estimates at parkpower.ca if you decide to switch it's easy it's really just a change to your billing and you can feel good knowing that you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills yeah utilities bills sorry I, there was plural there for a second plural, like, did, did you say that right yeah. Yeah. anyways you can learn more at parkpower.ca so go there we should get ready for a do, do albertans bathe in crude oil i think so <laughs> pretty sure 
Yeah, that, that's how that's how I was raised. Actually, it's like we just stood out by the fence. We got sprayed by crude at this giant wrench, and we opened so up Texas the Texas uh, tea, as they like to call it, <laughs> Alberta tea. Open up the flow, just uh, get all up in there. Uh, so earlier I brought up jackrabbits. You know, it's interesting. I, I want to talk about optometrists, optometrists oh, nice. in Alberta. I'm just need to read what I'm supposed to say here. Ah. Do you need glasses, Dave? It's like you're looking over the bridge of your nose. <laughs> it's because I have windows all over my screen. Oh. Yeah. I was looking I at the you had a one. Mac. Yeah, but the hey Mac's... The, uh, <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by the Alberta Association of Optometrists. Did I peak? Who cares? That's your problem because you do That's posts for this podcast. <laughs> Proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. Did Albertans wear glasses 100 years ago, Kyle? Not if it impinged on their freedoms. <laughs> Uh, you tell me what to do no government can tell me what to do we'll get cancelled in our own city just for saying the (laughs) Texas of Canada I'm sure Uh, it happens parents can easily miss their child's eye problems issues can occur in only one eye making them difficult to notice the earlier an eye health or vision problem is identified the more likely it can be corrected the ICI Learn program uh, that is I as in E-Y-E is that a pun technically? I like it though. I'm all about those puns. The ICI Learn program provides an eye exam and free glasses, if needed, for kindergarten age children. In, in Alberta, that's five. And in Ontario, that's four. So just <laughs> right, right. Don't I mean, too early. Yeah. I, I, you know, sympathize with this. And I think I've brought this up before. I am also basically blind in only one of my eyes. So it's interesting. It you should wear a patch, like, uh, like a bond. I villain. used to. Oh, wow. I As just a kid, it. I had to wear a patch to kindergarten in grade one. Did you hear that trauma in your voice? Well, let's uh, tell me if I was bullied in high school or <laughs> if I was bullied in school for wearing a patch. Arr. No, I'm sorry. That probably, I can feel your pain through the mic here. Mm-hmm. 25% of kids begin first grade with an undiagnosed eye problem. It's a high percentage, actually. To book your child's eye exam, please visit optometrist.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. I had no idea we had 80 communities in Alberta. Such a snob. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health. I thought I said care, sorry. Who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. Learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. Eyes, they're good for you. Don't, uh, don't, don't ignore them. Just eat a lot of carrots, Dave, like those rabbits. 360 degrees. Can you imagine? All right. Well, Dave, we have sat down. We watched this horror film called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Um, with your deep and heavy sighs every few seconds, I have a feeling I know what you think about this movie. So lay it on me. What, what did you hate about this movie? Well, everything. I don't know. What, uh, what do you want to talk about specifically? It's... It just doesn't make any sense. The acting is pretty poor. I will admit, I suppose, that it still is a movie. I think, I can't remember what we've watched. Uh, what is it? Uh, <laughs> I like that. It still is technically filmed on celluloid. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a Million Dollar Duck is not a movie. Yeah, it's right? not. It's not. So this is still a movie, uh, but it it is so, it is so everything that I think horror movies are bad except it's not even scary so i just yeah. i don't understand i mean i think we're going to talk about a little bit that this was given an x rating in england for what i don't know because old people are in it 
they don't like old people maybe I, i'm not sure those um, are the changing of the times i just recently uh oh i can't remember the movie now but there was a movie that came out in the late 80s and it uh it was like just a coming of age tale but of two women falling in love um in high school and it got like an r rating in the u.s and uh roger ebert lost his shit over it's like if this was a man and a and a woman it would not be rated r because there's like nothing G. that happens in this movie like literally nothing is shown nothing is done in this movie that is different than that so it's almost like uh being homosexual was illegal yeah it's still weird, in right? the 1970s strange um so you, you I, okay so the quick the, the quick overview is that you didn't like it yeah, nothing didn't, really worked for you yeah i didn't like any of it I think it's weird. And um, again, maybe it's a small town. I don't understand like a small town that's occupied only by really old men with scars. Like they don't really well explain okay. what, what this world is. I uh, I agree, but okay. Sorry, finish your thought and then I'll get no, into it. No, that's pretty much it. This is why I, I want to fill the intro with at least half an hour of garbage because I've got nothing. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I think that this is definitely helped out if you have seen, yes, other horror films okay. and are somewhat knowledgeable about vampire fiction. I majored in both in university. So I kind of agree that I am already, I have some of the context involved in order for this to work for me. I do not think this is a home run. It's interesting to watch this movie because I can both see what influenced it and how it influenced movies going forward like the pieces are there that are interesting in fact we we talked about in the intro like what i call like the a24 horror mm -hmm. films this reminds me a lot of those those films not necessarily in the way it looks but the way it's plotted and structured is is very similar what i think this movie does really well and what i enjoyed about this movie because i was positive on it overall is that we have the central character jessica who is basically fresh out of some type of mental hospital, doesn't get too into the weeds with what that actually is. And so we have this character who is like, okay, is she actually experiencing what she's experiencing? Or is this a manifestation of her problems she had in the mental ward? And I do think the movie plays with that a little bit in the first half of like, is this actually happening? Or is this just in her head that this is happening? And so I had fun, fun with that. The revelation over time about this like small island that they're basically on because you have to take up the ferry to get onto this place. I think is basically structured is that this is a harem with of a vampire who has been collecting people. So those scars mm. are her sucking the people. <laughs> so those aren't real people and they are at, yes, are acting weird because they're not people anymore. They are all vampires who are in this small little town. Because I actually had the same criticism when I first started watching. Like, why are all these old men being so weird in this movie? And then you see the scars, and then they kind of, and then you kind of fill in the pieces of like, oh, okay, why she hasn't aged? Because you see the old photograph. She's a vampire from that time, so she's not aged sucking in the intervening the years. And she's sucking the life yeah. essence out of them, and she's now trying to escape from from her clutches. I, just to be a quick revisionist, yeah, it would have worked better. If they didn't have the old men at the beginning grumbling about all oh, these city folk coming into our yeah, I think I, I think when we get into backstory, you'll I think it makes sense because this was a script that was rewritten and yeah, then it's already by, always, because of the director wanted to change some things yeah, in it. It was meant to be a comedy, which I think is hilarious. Exactly, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think you see some of that those holdovers yeah, from yeah. what the original movie was supposed to be, quote unquote. So I thought that the tension worked really well. You said that you didn't like the performances. I actually quite liked the performances in this movie. I thought there was a naturalistic nature to them. Where Wait, from the lens of someone who enjoys movies, 
or from the lens of someone who watches horror movies? Um, what's the bar? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, again, I'm not comparing this necessarily to like the Godfather level of acting chops. But yeah, I guess I, guess I would say for, for horror films. But I guess the parts that I'm thinking of is that very rarely in all the films in 1971 that we have watched, has it felt like it's just like friends hanging out, making jokes with one another? Like, and this felt like it was almost uh, documentary, like in, in showing them just hanging out and tell, yeah, like telling those jokes and making fun of one another and like pushing each other into like the, into the water and stuff, which felt like, oh yeah, these are young people experiencing it. We have different experiences have a, growing up, I think. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think we should have a deeper conversation too about the hippie movement because yeah. I think it's very clearly uh, on display here. But I thought that the the horror elements were done well. Uh, I enjoyed the performances. I thought that the music called a little bit too much to itself. I know that this is considered one of the best horror soundtracks of all time. Or, I was reading first, not best, but uh, what do you call it? Gra- groundbreaking, trailblazing. Yeah, groundbreaking yeah. is like it's called out, but it's like it, it almost calls attention to itself too much to my liking personally. So it almost always took me out when it got too bombastic. Yeah, and I think there's some yes, like you can tell this is the first film from Mr. Mm-hmm. Hancock here. So not everything worked for me, but enough worked for me so that the the actual like climax of the film of her trying to escape and get away. And ultimately, uh, basically kill her her own husband is ultimately tragic of this woman who is broken and is trying to get better and accidentally just comes to an island that has a vampire on it to make her go even more crazy. So anyways, all of that stuff kind of worked for me, to be honest. Hmm. Well, that's why you and I are different people, because yep. <laughs> uh, I thought it was pretty stupid. Like It's like, uh, yeah, when you and any of our guests get into something about context setting then yeah. of course the film takes on a new dimension. So listening to you from a revisionist perspective, I can see if... <laughs> it's not revisionist. No, it's no just, not you, it, for me. So I'm saying if what you're saying is true and we wanted to portray these old men as her husks, as her yeah. like her army of slaves, um, you know, once you mention it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't get that when I watch this film on its own. As much as I, I think Count Chocolate's awesome, I don't really i'm not steeped in vampire lore i've watched vampire movies but i don't study the tropes either so if i i always try with the exception of planet of the apes i suppose and godzilla to sit down and watch these as sort of a total of virgin experience because i don't actually understand what this is playing off of and what it what it moves into when i see this there's uh there's three middle-aged people in a hearse they show up in a small town. These old men are insulting them. They, of course, in the classic horror style, by the creepiest Actually, sorry, house. I, I, I have to jump in here. I always interrupt you in these podcasts and I edit them. So, But you're saying they're middle-aged. I, they're all in their 30s. That's not middle-aged. They don't look it, but I know okay, people in the <laughs> So then they go into this creepy house. I don't know what they're expecting. You know, you go to an island, you buy a shitty old Victorian house. There's going to be a ghost in it. That's pretty, pretty straightforward. I will admit... This way, I think it's, it is a movie. I mean, it's not a million dollar duck. You know, when you have those things like seeing the photograph or this woman in the house appearing mm-hmm. out of nowhere and that, uh, I thought it was the same girl, but it turns out a different waif in the white dress keeps appearing at the graveyard. Yeah. There are nuances there where you're like, okay, this is a, a ghost story. It isn't until they talk about some of the wounds that you start thinking, okay, maybe it's a vampire story, but either way. But then, but that's it. And then as they get into more of the slash, not slasher, but the more violent, pieces and the sex and all that stuff it's just i don't know i I got bored to be honest with you i 
I didn't and feel that's like- kind of the parts where I do agree with you. Like, I don't think there's enough in this movie for me to be like, oh, like it elevates right. the, the, the the genre to, to such an extent that it's like, I'm going to keep coming back and watching this movie. I think it's an interesting entry point into like vampire fiction. But I think because they did remove most of the satirical elements, I don't find a lot like intellectually about this movie. And I don't really even find it like super thrilling just on a visceral level. Like I never, I was never scared no. in this movie. Partly because it's an older movie, partly also because I watched this in the daytime. So maybe that has something to do with it. One of those two reasons, whether it was intellectually like great or if it was like, oh, like I am actually kind of scared by this. Either one of those, I think, would make me be like way more enthusiastic about this movie than what I ultimately am. So, yeah, I liked it, but it's, it's not like, oh, I love this movie because there are some things that it just doesn't quite nail, I don't think. But again, yeah. like I can see how this influences the making of halloween and the slasher genre later on i can see how it took the elements of vampire movies in like the 50s and 60s and kind of like subverted them a little bit uh here so like yes i I can see where it fits in the evolution of but Mm -hmm. not enough for me to be like you absolutely have to go and watch this movie Uh, i guess to our earlier point about uh what makes a cult film i mean maybe that's it if this fits in that little crux between the uh, blockbuster horror, and then the super low-budget genre films of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And this is a linking point where someone experimented with synth music, um, these sort of like occult Victorian things with color. I I don't know. Uh, But I don't know any of it, so. I would even go so far as it being a woman who is actually the central character. Oh, even that. It's actually pretty unique for an American film. Mm In, in the horror genre, at least, there had been a little bit of that before, but usually it was like, but a man comes and saves a day and does like the right. swashbuckling type of thing. And this is, she is really the one who drives the action a lot. Yeah. Um, I will, also, a little side note, I fucking loved the scene with the uh, antique stealer. I thought it was this weird comedy sequence that a lot of horror films play with like a comic relief just so that the audience like <laughs> not feel so tense the entire time. Right, right. And again, Worked for me. I thought it was great <laughs> the entire time because I've been in those little town shops and that's exactly how they are. I'm going to show you this grandfather clock. I was like, I have a, I have a Camry. There's no way I'm putting this in and taking this for you. And this is the other thing, you know, my, my small world of view, um, I don't go to uh, curbside <laughs> shops, antique shops. Helen actually does this more. She likes, you know, doing this antique shopping or going to like, I think there's an ice cream shop in Nanton and walking yeah, by yeah, some. Going to Nanton, I don't home. care. I don't do any of that. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that I'm lactose intolerant, but I right. won't drive to Nanton to eat an old time ice cream shop. So I'm very biased and small minded in that way. So when, when things like this come out or as we've talked about with the great movies like um, Last Picture Show and Summer mm-hmm. 42 and all these you know, uh, very nuanced cultural films, yeah. really. Um, even with uh, Buck Alamo, I can't fit into the language well enough. So this is the same thing. They're at this. I've seen that scene. You know, it's played yeah, yeah. in many movies, and then, but then I just don't care. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. <laughs> She's talking about a mushroom lamp that's supposed to be a cult, and right. then they never bring it up again. Like, I gotta, never I again. No. I don't give a shit. Um, yeah. Again, to be fair to you, Dave. The majority of the critics at the time hated this movie, too. Like, it's really only been in the last few years that it's had this kind of, like, cultural reappraisal by modern critics. Seeing it for its, like, how it's 
basically that connecting piece between horror of the 80s and horror of the 50s. This is basically how we get there or mm-hmm. part of the way how we get there. So I think you would have fit in to the local <laughs> 1971 critics and been like, this is not good. I need to buy so, some bell bottoms. I will, I will give uh, whatever the one guy's name's credit with the Crosby, Stills, Nash mustache. Right, right. If I could grow one of those fucking things, I would have one. <laughs> Pre-Selic. Actually, one of those Tom nose Sox bristles. Like yeah. 20 at the time. But yeah, I would have. That's not a bristle. That's a brush. whatever it is i want to write it uh well let's do some of this backstory here then so let's scare jessica to death was released on august 27th of 1971 it is currently rated 6.4 on imdb there is no rating on metacritic currently and on rotten tomatoes basically nobody has watched it because (laughs) 10 critics have it at 30 percent and a thousand users have it at 50 percent i can't believe this on blu-ray but anyways let's get available on dvd and blu-ray you can also buy or rent it on itunes you can buy or rent it on youtube we should actually you might be doing this we should compile a list of movies that ought to be on blu-ray and movies Mm. that ought not to be because uh (laughs) (laughs) why did this get a blu-ray release weird its budget was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. so if you're keeping score at home it's half of Duel's budget. Like, this got made for so little money. Hey, if someone gave me $250,000, I wouldn't make a oh, yeah. I'd just keep it. Yeah. Could use the, that it, I don't know what it actually made, ultimately. all Any report on, like, Wikipedia, Box Office Mojo, I can say that it made $41,000 opening weekend, but I don't know what it actually made during its lifetime. Its plot description is... A recently institutionalized woman has bizarre experiences after moving into a supposedly haunted country farmhouse and fears she may be losing her sanity once again. Mm, mm. It stars Zora Lampert as Jessica, uh, Mary Claire Costello as Emily, Barton Heyman as Duncan, Kevin O'Connor as Woody, and Gretchen Corbett as The Girl. Anything you want to say about those actors? I mean, the, it was a bit slim pickings. None of them yeah. really blew up. But I think just quickly, Zora has an Emmy uh, for a role she played in Kojak. Mm-hmm. Nice. Interestingly enough, uh, Gretchen Corbett, her first part was in the pilot of Kojak. <laughs> so, tangled. Barden Heyman uh, had a role in Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke's come up before. I don't know, man. I, know. I, I mean, I know it's generational, but it's... I all- mean, yeah, so technically Gunsmoke would have still been on the air because it ran from like 55 to 75, so... Yeah, I think his credit is before that, but I think it's something like five years. I didn't actually mm. write it down because uh, who cares? The one thing about Barton, allegedly, he was actually supposed to uh, be whatever character in Deliverance until the casting director insisted on uh, Ned Beatty. So mm. he might have made it, but he didn't. Maybe. Yeah. It, well, that's the interesting thing about... Hollywood you know, yeah. actors in Hollywood now, like it's that one role sometimes is what just breaks you open to all the other things. Yeah, yeah. Ned Beatty's great though. By the way, I loved Ned Beatty anytime he showed up. Yeah, no, I'm not saying they were wrong, but it's just it's it's in there. So that was in the trivia section. Um, what else? Gretchen Corbett's known for Broadway. I don't know if you know who she is. And Most she, of these people came from Broadway. Yeah, they're all like stage actors and stuff. Yeah. So let me see. Mary Claire Costello. Apparently, so <laughs> she's like a 30 year career. TV, stage, etc. I've never heard of any of them, but she teaches acting. She's a professor of acting in LA, so good for her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have a career, you can you can you can also teach it. So I'm just saying that's all I got. 
uh, on the actors and actresses. Yeah, this I, I would agree. Like, I don't think anyone really broke out after this movie came out. This, of course, is written by John D. Hancock and Lee Kalheim. 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 Based on the short story Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu, uh, and of course directed by John D. Hancock. I'll just point out that Lee Kalheim wrote this script, but it turns out he wrote a lot of comedies on TV. Mm -hmm. He's got an Emmy for an episode of All in the Family, and I think he originally invented, what is this movie supposed to be called? It Drinks Hippie Blood. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna get into that, but you're right. That's exactly what it is. But as I mentioned, the story, Carmilla, has been cited as an inspiration to this movie. That is not in the opening credits, though. You will not actually see them give credit to that. And it should also be noted that the filmmakers have never admitted that it is based on this story mm. either. But in 1871, 100 years before this movie came out, in 1871, this book was published, this short story was published, by one Sheridan Le Fanu, who was Irish and was known for gothic and horror fiction. He was one of those people in the late 1800s who made appearances as if they were rich, but were actually quite poor and like were very close to insolvency their entire life. Um, but he marries this woman by the name of Susanna Bennett, daughter of a barrister in Dublin. Ooh, and in the, opera. I know <laughs> the, <laughs> the potatoes of our lives. I'm so sorry. In the late 1850s, though, she starts suffering from, quote, neurotic symptoms. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. I got you. No. Neurotic symptoms. So get this. I'm I'm reading this verbatim. She apparently has a crisis of faith because of several deaths in her family occurring over like this two or three month period. And she starts talking about religion to a bunch of people. And from what I'm gathering, it was not positive. <laughs> So what does that mean? Like she's just telling people. Oh, all I think she go went full atheist of like a oh, bunch of pe close people okay. went like died, and she's like, "Why would God do this?" Is okay. what I'm reading between the lines, and then I think was meant, quote unquote hysterical. Oh, okay, I think it meant the other way. She became an evangelical and told everyone no. they were going to die. Okay, okay. She she's eventually heretic. has a hysterical attack and dies. Oh shit. <laughs> Again, do not know what any of no. this actually means. Like, hysterical attack is what they used. Laugh to death. Um, <laughs> but I get, I'm going to be so, sorry for being crude once again, but this feels like the, the 1850s equivalent of like, this bitch be crazy, let's kill her. Like, that's <laughs> basically what it sounds yeah. like to me. Now, to Lafanu's credit, if he can be given credit, his diary entries around this time suggests that he felt like extreme guilt that he actually hadn't stood up for her and yeah. helped her out a lot more that he carried with him until he passed away like 30 years later. He only lived to like to be 52 though. Like it's he like died average, pretty, yeah, pretty young. People didn't live very long. They shit in a pot. Yeah. Anyways, this whole thing I think could be looked at as probably the inspiration for this mm. book called Carmilla. Um, the book is narrated by a woman who is stalked by the female vampire named Carmilla. Uh, and because this was the late 1800s, as we were discussing, the lesbianism in this narrative had to be fairly subtle, but it was intentionally put into there. It's actually this story that most critics now credit as being what changes the perception of what vampires could be, because it wasn't until 26 years later that Dracula would be published. And by the way, this book has been credited as inspiring a few other films. So 1932's Vampire, 
1960s Blood and Roses, and then the 1970 film, so just a year before this one, The Vampire Lovers, which I believe is made by Hammer Films. All that being said, the original script had nothing to do with any of this. <laughs> it was much different. Uh, it was written, like I said, by Lee Kalkheim. It was called Drink Hippie Blood, and it was meant to be this much more blatant critique and satire about the end of the hippie era. That's uh, why their hearse has the word love written on the hood of it. Like, it was really meant to be like, it's the end of the hippie era. John Hancock, though, is the one who changes the script. He had been making his... An, he had been making a name for himself by directing plays. Specifically, he'd done a production of Breck's Man Equals Man and Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. And by the sounds of it, he like sexed them up a bit. Like that's basically what he was known for. He made them very pro- uh, uh, not evocative. Not uh, scandalous. Risque. Uh, uh, pornographic. Provocative. Uh, erotic hedonistic. and provocative. Um, he then grotesque. Took a, <laughs> Uh, sexy. He made them sexy. Oh, he right. then sexy, yeah. he took that success and got a grant from the American Film Institute Ooh. so that he could make a short film called "Sticky My Fingers." <laughs> you can do it. The name <laughs> of this is so stupid. <clears throat> "Sticky My Fingers, Fleet My Feet" is what the name of this movie is. Sounds- oh, "Sticky Me Fingers!" Like that. It sounds like so Irish. I don't know what it is. Oh, "Sticky Me Fingers." I have no idea what it's about, but it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Short Film and would actually be released attached to Woody Allen's film Bananas, kind of like how Pixar does it with their own films. He's then hired to make this movie, but he demands to rewrite the script. He puts a much more serious tone on it and removes a bunch of the other elements that we've been talking about. One scene that he actually wanted to get rid of, but producers wouldn't let him get rid of, was the seance scene. So that was against his will put into the movie. The biggest element that Hancock wanted to add in was this idea of the unreliable narrator. So much like in the novel The Turn of the Screw or the film The Haunting, he wanted it to be uncertain whether we could trust the main character or not. Because of his connections to theater, Hancock then hired on a bunch of actors he knew from New York. Specifically, the main role of Jessica went to Zora Lampert, who was coming off a successful production of Mother Courage, starring Anne Bancroft. And the two guys that are in this were in his production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, It was shot in 26 days without a distributor, so this was an independent film, technically. They finish it, they sell it to Paramount, where the executives there decide to change the name once again. Hancock had changed it from Drink Hippie Blood or let's drink hippie blood, whatever, the hippie blood movie, he thought they should just name it Jessica. <laughs> and they were like, let's uh, jazz this up a bit here. And they changed it to let's scare Jessica to death, which, to be fair, is kind of a better title, in my opinion. I don't but, know. I, I feel like Jessica might have worked better. Name one movie where it's just a woman's name that would be horrific. <laughs> and you can't say Carrie. <laughs> and you can't say Christine. <laughs> And you can't say it's actually been done a lot. I'm just, just saying. A <laughs> it's poignant. There's a woman named Jessica. And uh, yeah. So responses, responses to it were fairly negative. At the time, critics hated it. Uh, and as we said, although it has been seen um, lately, it's been reevaluated amongst horror fans and critics alike, especially as you see how it's influenced later filmmakers. So that's basically the quick backstory of the whole thing. Let's talk hippies. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, let's talk about hippies a little bit here, because I do think that's been something we've kind of mentioned in some of our other films we've talked about. and almost danced around a, a few times where we're in the early 70s now, and I think we really are seeing the end of like that free love, 
yes, the hippie movement is almost being seen as like um, a lost cause or something that's been not successful. Burnt out, yeah. They all need to cut their hair. So, fellow hippie, what do you think? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It- <laughs> Historically, we we did I, well. Yeah, both of us have did a little digging on this, not uh, in an academic sense, of course. But uh, one of the things that's interesting is how this comes out of the beatnik generation, in a sense. But the mm-hmm. word "hip" and "hep" was sort of uh, you right. know ghetto African American slang for being with it, for being in the know, or being cu- uh, culturally forward. But any word that becomes slang, like ninety percent of the time, comes from Black culture. Yeah. It is pretty wild when you when you find that out. And so what's interesting is the word hipster, which we use again now, mm-hmm. is actually a term for uh, white people who are trying to uh, get with the cause. They were the hipsters, right. which uh, still works, frankly. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Really it? Does. Now they just dress up like uh, 18th hey, hey, century BLM woodsmen. man, BLM as I so, like, drink my like oat milk latte with my stupid toucan. Right, we bought oat milk. That's, that's fair. But... Uh, the other thing that I was interested in, just as a self-deprecating joke, is uh, hippies are associated with, with drugs, uh, free mm-hmm. sex, but also something called pseudo-intellectualism. <laughs> so I'm basically yeah. a hippie. Like, this is great. I mean, the free love well, part, I don't really get along. I've never had a cauliflower for a penis, but I think that... Uh... <laughs> you should try it, man. I mean, it is vegan, so it's good. <laughs> Yeah, but we we love spiritualism. It's great. Yeah, this is one of my talking about being uh, fearful of different things. This is something I get kind of worried about a lot of the time. Is that I'm, <laughs> I mean, I host a podcast where I try and sound smart, so I understand the hypocrisy with what I'm about to say, but I don't want to come across as pretentious. Like it's one of my when I when I see people be like, well, the geopolitical ramifications <laughs> of like. Uh, corrupting uh, autonomy rights like you know using that type of language as a relation because you're talking about the kissing booth on netflix and it's like (laughs) come on like come on like we we don't need to do this i never want to come across that way uh so i don't know i don't know where where that leaves as both the pseudo intellectual i always just want to preface that i'm a stupid idiot so and i know that so i just try and sound smart on, on on television and on on this podcast um but I think where we can say in a 2021 context, the hippie movement, such as it is, yes, I can sympathize with what they were pushing for. Like, I agree with what they were pushing for in many ways. But they also, those hippies, grew up to be, quote unquote, the, the people yuppies. who are ruining the earth right now. Like, they're the same well, generation. There's the same people. Now, whether they're actually the same people or not, I don't know. But they are partly the same people. I think there's a, a sort of pattern with humanity, these cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you get generation, counter-generation, et cetera. Because, I mean, who likes their parents? <laughs> Weirdos, that's who. <laughs> well, yet, uh, I mean, this is not unique to the 20th century, but when a previous generation goes through a big event, we'll see this post-COVID. We saw this in 9-11. This is just post-World War II. There was the uh, the flappers. Anyways, uh, there was mm-hmm. a big party generation after World War One. So every, when, the next generation has to deal with whatever the trauma of the situation was before. So it's in this case, predominantly young people who are trying to look for a new spiritual meaning in life. They're trying to push back against all these uh, repressive uh, civil norms that came out of a, you know, pre and uh, mid-war generation. But as I've experienced, when you hit 30 and 40, you can't just lay about on a beanbag and try to have sex with everybody you meet. Like you gotta put something down. It transferred into this sort of 
boomer yuppie thing, which is which is a little ironic, but mm-hmm. but it's well, hard. I think that that's part of the the satire that I think this film could have used a little bit more. Like it's kind of there, but like there are these hippies going and fixing up this old house and like we're gonna like you know love Settle each down. other and like yeah. sit here and like we're just gonna figure things out and it's like <laughs> yeah that you let's satirize that like that's fine that's cool but they don't really go into much depth with that idea i don't think but it, it does make me think like I, I can see how that goes through the time like right now certainly baby boomers get the brunt of like you're the reason everything is bad but generation x is now starting to get lumped into there it's like oh yeah let's let's be the slacker generation let's not try and do anything that's certainly helped the world, right? Like they're starting to get that blowback and like millennials are going to get it. And it's like, oh, let's name it like two random vowel sounds and give an app to people. That's going to help out the world. Yeah, and then people. and then I'm sure like the Generation Z or Z people are going to have the same thing right? yeah, <laughs> in, in 20 years. They're going to be criticized for whatever they did. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't do anything, but it's like or try for something. But well, I don't think you the can. The next generation is always going to criticize you is what I'm trying to say. Right. I don't think. I don't think you can do nothing. It's not part of the human cycle. So when I was growing up, the joke was, uh, or no, the uh, the growth was helicopter parenting. And then as I got into my 30s, it's like we make fun of helicopter parents to the point now where people are, I think, starting to design intentionally dangerous playgrounds for kids that are controlled, right. but they're free. And then it'll flip back. because With real same- helicopters, actually, <laughs> now. So it's well, they have, cool. You should see some of these videos that come out. They're fucking scary right but then we'll get movement counter movement etc which is fine i mean that's a very abstract principle of democracy that we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be able to have conversations and even if we accuse each other to like let it fizzle out and hopefully find a a middle ground as it turns out in function that is not how uh, human beings are operate and uh, we're on the front of so many different kind of wars now kyle Mm -hmm. everybody's Mm -hmm. angry but well and that i mean that is what you can blame my generation for, the millennial generation, right? It's social media actually has done so many cool things, but it's also made everyone super depressed and super aware. And I don't think humanity can handle knowing everything that's happening at every moment around the world. It just is hard to compartmentalize things at that point. I mean, going back to the the hippies and i think how they're even trying to be portrayed in this movie is that to be fair it's like an older generation that's kind of making these movies too like the producers and and, and that sort of thing so it's through that lens where you can really poke holes in that as like sure free love let's smoke marijuana what like cool whatever floats your boat but how does that move the needle to be more equitable to society? How does this give so, uh, um, civil rights to people? Maybe women should be given their own bank accounts. I don't know. Maybe that's a wild concept we can give to people in the early 70s. So there's like the lifestyle versus like, well, how are you actually pushing things forward? And again, I'm saying all this as being the worst person to talk about because it's not like I'm on the front lines of any like social movement either. Well, I'm, and here's the thing. I mean, I don't... It's hard to tell, and maybe we could have, it would never work, but if you had a round table with, everybody pre-boomer's probably dead, but like a a boomer, (laughs) an X, a millennial, and a Z, and talking about sort of the, both cultural impact and how they see themselves fit into that uh, movement, Mm -hmm. in each specific movement. And my suspicion, just, uh, you know, off the cuff, is that there's no single line. Like we evolve as a society and as a blob and you need people who do nothing you need people who are spiteful you need 
these motivators. Uh, we talked a little bit once about what is good representation. There are people I find on Twitter who willfully rub their face into conflict and then whine sure. about it on social media. So it, it upsets me in principle. But then the flip side is if they're not doing that and people stop giving a shit about it in general, is that better? I don't know. Right. And so when we look at the hippies, there are militant hippies, there are chilled hippies, there are people who yeah. never joined that movement and stayed in nine to five jobs. You know, it's just right. It's it's a it's a mess. It's a blob. What is fascinating though about all of these generational movements, and we see that now, uh, even now with the millennials, as the things settle down, the culture in itself has to reevaluate its value system. Yeah. Maybe the problem right now is we want, actually always, is we want immediate results. And the hippies wanted, right, emancipation. They wanted uh, class classism to be eliminated. They were essentially socialists. And it didn't happen right away. So then they were like, oh, well, I got to feed this new kid I have, right? So I got to take this job. But the impact happened 20 years later, where now the next generation is like, oh, well, you know, maybe my parents weren't such fucking assholes in the first place and maybe they did this one thing right never trust anyone over the age of 25 i mean i think that's also the um wisdom i guess as you get older it's like okay well maybe my parents had some good points yeah. here and there so I'm, I'm glad that they did this and this but they still screwed up over in these areas we can all admit i mean it's, it's the it's the interesting thing about watching older movies the two things that are so intensely obvious like if we ever go to one of the years in the 80s, for instance, if this machine makes us go to a, to a year in the 80s. Yeah, how could we predict where we'll end up next? How much casual like homophobia mm. and transphobia is in every comedy <laughs> in the yeah. 80s? Like, go watch, like, Bill and Ted has it. Yeah. Like, uh, some of the Back to the Future sequels have it. Like, I grew every up. single thing has it. It's like, why is this in here? Um, but here in the 70s, it's like, well, I wonder if there's going to be a black person that shows up in this movie. Oh, no, I guess not. Or if they are, they're in it for like one scene is like the fourth lead and they're going to get killed first. Like that. So it's like, well, we have representation. Yeah. So it's like it's that little step that has to keep happening. Keep pushing over time. It's just like it. it's I guess unfortunate in a way that it can't just be like, we're just going to do this now. It's just this slowly evolving over time. The biggest thing, too, is like what we've discovered in 1971, I think. Elaine May is the only female director we've so had far, this year. Yeah. That we've Where seen. In, yeah. That we've seen. I and mean, she got I canceled were... for making essentially one bad movie. It's crazy, right? Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's true. But this as a counterexample to that, like I you could very easily in your twenty twenty one only watch movies made by women that are coming out in 2021. Yeah. There's, the, there's there's enough of them that you could do that. And major releases that are coming out as well. So again, little steps forward, but it's like, yeah, it's weird when you actually get that pointed out to you. It's like, oh, that is wild that there was only two women in the Directors Guild of America in 1971. Well, I, I don't remember if I read this somewhere, like an online essay, if I saw it in a YouTube video or something, but they were talking about how the scale of cultural impact is closer to, like, it's in the hundreds of years instead right. of in one year. So I think a lot, especially now, because information is too instant, insta. We all expect that if I yell about, let's say Orange Shirt, we just had the National Day, first National Day of Reconciliation, that mm -hmm. as long as I made a square of my fucking Instagram feed orange, that means yeah. we fixed the problem. That's obscenely, right. that's wrong. It just doesn't so work reductive. that way. So reductive, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, my son came home and learned that the last residential school closed after I graduated high school. 
That's fucking crazy. So there's not enough school, time, yeah. it was, right? It's yeah, that's wild. Yeah. That's not enough time. Uh, we shouldn't give up on it. I'm glad we're pushing the issue, but we also have to have a measured approach, right? Like uh, black rights, we're we're doing the best we can. We're having marches. It's all in the in the ether. But then turning around, expecting rich white people to be like, yeah, I get it. I mean, right. It's not going to happen. It's just, yeah. even if they're trying I mean, hard, it's just I, I think that's a, a good point too, but like that hundreds of years, like like really, if you look at the film industry, I mean, yes, like the sign of films and stuff that were coming out, but like really as an institution, I would say it's, you know, you're 1912, 13 is really when it's, so we're just over a hundred years here, right. I'm, was what I'm trying to say here. Like that's such a blip and only so few films are, are those that we still like keep going back to. Yeah. Like not even talking about silent film, like handful. How, yeah. how many movies did we watch from the 1940s? Yeah. Two, three of them maybe have, have made it into the cultural zeitgeist. That's right. The seventies have a little bit more, but I mean, like, again, you're 12 to 15, maybe are the ones that like everyone knows about. Yeah. You know, I just signed up for the Criterion channel because uh, you ruined my mm. life and I'm spending money I don't have. But also, when you look at by year and you just see, this is Criterion only. So they've hand selected, mm -hmm. you know, let's say 100 movies per year. I've heard of none of them. So that right, means right. it's like this little piece of, a, of an iceberg of movies that came out that year and 98% of them have just disappeared because... You know, and so you're, like you point out, over a hundred years, yeah, even a cinephile might be able to name two hundred films or something. It's crazy to right. think about. So, what keeps them relevant? And can we see? I made it a little joke in the write-up. If you want to learn about hippies, just look at the album covers of the Beatles, right? Because they <laughs> they go from yeah. square oops, squares and a production boy band to uh, insane LSD fucking yeah, right true. Uh, nut bars <laughs> so true. singing about walruses, uh, which is great. They make great music. And then they, just like we're talking about, they, they broke up. It didn't work. Like they were just too free almost. And then one became Milton and got shot. The other got a, became a cello and became super rich. And then two of them disappeared. You know, one died of cancer and the other one nobody respected, which is so unfair. But, you know, I, I think that is maybe... I like Ringo. I, was <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, a bit of a microcosm of that movement, isn't it? Like they... Mm -hmm. They come out, you know that in their hearts, they're pushing back against what happened in the war because they're young, they're scousers, but they play into the machine to get their uh, music out. And as they experience unbridled freedom, it tears them apart. And also there's lead, you know, there's so much lead, Kyle. Now, after learning <laughs> I mean, about- we keep coming back to that. We should probably just be very clear because like, we've mentioned, I think, the last few episodes. And if you're just jumping newly into the podcast, <laughs> it's the, the, the theory that is probably true in that there is so much lead in the air from leaded gasoline that people were probably slowly going crazy until yeah. they took it out and then you could see uh crime drop precipitously over like the next decade and a half <laughs> yeah other than poisoning a spilage there was a correlation not necessarily causation between uh, yeah even i can't remember how many micrograms of lead uh, ingested can lead to uh heightened aggression birth defects mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff so uh good for us technology yeah, Godzilla was right. You know, fuck hetero. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Screw Smart him. Monster. Um, I mean, uh, the the director Hancock here said the following: like you could already feel that negativity brewing when we were making Jessica. The things that things weren't working out the way some of us had hoped and mm -hmm. dreamed that they would. Like, you could, so I think he's there battling at that in 1970 and 71 too. Is like, oh, like this dream utopia that we were for sure building towards. Like, oh, maybe reality is going to be not as kind to us. Yeah. I, there's people now, I mean, I'm seeing quotes from 
Stalin and Engels again. I don't know, Kyle. There's no perfect world. <laughs> oh, there's people that are super pushing for like destruction, uh, extreme of socialism, yeah. I guess, to come. And like, I get it when you were born into a world where there's been two huge depressions in the last 20 years. Yeah. This is wiped out and most wars. jobs. But and, like, yeah. Yeah. maybe I guess call me a capitalist if you want, but like socialism experiments haven't turned out all that great That's either. What I keep saying, you know, <laughs> I don't like how things are right now. I worry about my son, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't want him in a gulag. And the right. idea that a socialist environment doesn't create a fascist. I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's a Venn diagram. Everything folds into on its, onto itself. And, uh, you know, we just take care of ourselves. We're hippies. We're hipsters and we're turning into yuppies, Kyle. We started this podcast. We just thought gonna... we could change the world. And now we really need to sell out to uh, pay for some of this shit. So, (laughs) which is why it's a great time to announce that Disney has bought our podcast. And you know what I love, Dave? Disney films. I I didn't realize how great of a service they had. No, that Kevin Feige, genius, (laughs) genius. You know, I was pretty, I was pretty critical about them in the Godzilla episode, but I've been thinking about it and maybe I was wrong. (laughs) It's so handsome. Maybe it's good to have just one company that owns everything. All right, well, we're done here. We didn't talk about the movie very much in the last half, but the machine has told us that we do need to wrap this up. So first and foremost, let's get to some of the uh, critical. Let's get to Critics' Choice. I forgot what it was called critics for a second. <laughs> let's go to Critics' Choice. I could not find, of course, again, Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael did not talk about this movie. It's probably too small of a release for them to talk about it. But they have one contemporary review and one modern review. The contemporary review comes from a Barry Westgate from... The Edmonton Journal. Ooh. Very uh, kind of somewhat local. He this wrote, might come back to us. Even contrived cinema has to have its share of rhyme or reason, and this effort by John Hancock doesn't have so much as a, a touch of either. <laughs> I like this guy. We should invite so him on to our podcast. So <laughs> Mr. Westgate did not like it back in 1971. He probably is dead now. I don't know. I shouldn't say that, but probably. The modern day review, this I think was from... 2015 or 2016 is from Eric Lewers of the Film Society at Lincoln Center. The technical qualities of Let's Scare Jessica to Death are superb, with gorgeous cinematography and an audio track that takes on a life of its own. Each sound and image presents a hazy version of reality. As the plot develops, we learn that the world around Jessica is scarier than anything her mind could concoct. What? <laughs> um, I mean, I, this I wouldn't say works it's where the film society at lincoln center oh my um, god i wouldn't say it's gorgeous cinematography i i mean i don't mind it though i mean it's it's cheaply filmed and stuff it's yeah. not like it's not really dollar like yeah that. it doesn't yeah. look like it should have been on shit tv or thrown out it, that's fine but gorgeous <laughs> is a strong word because that means you want to look at it and i didn't this does bring us to the question that we always ask does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant dave how would you answer those questions yeah i think no and no yeah this is always the hard one like I'm going to answer no and yes is I think is ultimately how I'm going to have to answer this. I don't think it holds up. I don't think this is something that most modern audiences are going to be like, oh, yeah, like, let's go and watch this film again. I mean, I enjoyed it. So I always have a hard time answering this. this whole, like, I enjoyed it. I do think it is culturally relevant in in how it has influenced other films. You can see some of that stuff still prevalent in a lot of modern horror films. So in that way is how I'm going to answer that question. Let's say it's a medium. Yes. It's a no and a medium. Yes. Uh, You know, I was just, I was just trying to think about this idea of cultural relevance, meaning that it fits into what informs the next generation Mm -hmm. of films. 
And so the first thought I had was, let's say, The Matrix. But The Matrix holds up because it's actually still a good movie. You know what yeah, informed yeah. The Matrix are movies like Dark City, but nobody talks mm-hmm. about Dark City. And right. I like Dark City a lot. And anime, like the, a bunch and of anime, anime of course. Yeah. Um, and it's just an interesting, it's such a strange thing with cinephiles and film historians. But I, I don't think it's arbitrary either. So it's not meant to be an insult. It's just fascinating to think about this movie being reappraised, having this big functional influence on modern horror uh, when it, it's like not unwatchable, but it's pretty bad. But I guess somebody else watched it and decided I can do it better and I'm going to take it. Yeah, and then yeah, refined it so, and, 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 and iterate it on top yeah. of it. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's, I'm, I'm blanking. There has to be those examples, you know, of like the first movie that did blank, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then you can sometimes watch that and be like, yeah, but I've seen seven dozen other movies do this and do this better. So yeah, I did it first, but like, who cares sort of thing? I've been so noticing that, that does happen a lot. I've been noticing that a lot with uh, shaky cam. I mean, I bag mm-hmm. a lot on green grass for it, but it's actually a pretty prevalent technique that's always been yeah. used, uh, just not so egregiously and and like intentionally no. to make you nauseous. But yeah, little things like that. But you know. the thing with like green grass is like I'm gonna film from a mile away and it's like <laughs> try and keep you in focus it's like oh god like just the center of the shot. tripod man these are mil- like multi-million dollar films you can get some equipment but don't you feel like that visceral re- reaction when they're running dave and it's like oh my mm-hmm. gosh i'm super into the action the taste of my bile is uh mm-hmm. visceral well i'm interested to see what you want to rate this but before we get there uh that is what dave and i thought about Let's scare Jessica to death. So what did you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And you can also follow us over on our YouTube channel where we do short video uh, trailer reactions as well as like kind of short recaps of every movie we watch. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So Dave, what are you going to rate? Let's scare Jessica to death. I got, you know, it's not the worst movie we've watched this year. I think I'm just disappointed with it. Yeah. So I just don't want to be too insulting. We are going to reappraise, I guess, this year's, but this mm-hmm. is towards the end. So I do have some footing uh, on what's 71. I, st- I don't know. I still think, I think it's going to be a one and a half. I was like, can I push up to a two? But I don't, I just don't like <laughs> any of it. Uh, so I'm going to go with one and a half. I'll say something that might possibly surprise you in that. Let's say that we had watched this actually a few days ago rather than just what? recently on the couch. I actually knocked off <laughs> a half a star actually uh, because like, no, no, I, I can't justify getting it that high. I'm still giving it kind of middle of the road. I'm giving it a three, Ooh, maybe a three above a 2.5. So that is going to average to 2.25. Um, although uh, we always round down. So it'll actually be a two over on Letterboxd. Which does tie with three other films, which are very disparate from one another. So, from top to bottom, it's Nicholas and Alexandra, Diamonds Are Forever, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I mean, Where would I, you put? I would put it below all of them, frankly. But uh, mm. since you kind of like this, I'll, I'll, um, 
I'll defer to you wherever you want to put it because I'm trying to actually see. I mean, it always does go back. Like, what would I rather watch again? I would watch all those movies before I watch this thing again. Even Nick, Nicholas and Alexandra. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's where I think I'm settling on. Even though I like bed knobs and broomsticks way more than you do, I would have make the pitch that this is probably more relevant than bed knobs and broomsticks is nowadays. Okay. But I definitely would probably watch Diamonds Are Forever and even Nicholas and Alexander over this again. So, yeah, let's do that. We're going to put it in between Diamonds Are Forever and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Sure. Which means, let me just do some uh, quick little math here. Boop, 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 boop. So entering our list at the new number 25 position on our best of 1971 list is Let's Scare Jessica to Death. That's of 35, I should just point out. It's 25 of 35. Not bad. Yeah. Well, let me push this button and see what we are going to be watching next week. Please don't know God damn it. God, <laughs> fuck me. I hate this. is so dumb, Dave. Why are we doing I'm this? I'm so angry. This is, this is all your fault. We're going to watch Willard next week. <laughs> what? I am is deathly afraid of mice and rats, and Willard is a dumb rat movie that I promised I would never watch in my entire life. Oh, man. And it had a remake with Crispin Glover, which means I have to watch that too. So no, I have to watch two stupid rap to. movies <laughs> this week. Oh my uh, god! I'm gonna. I should. I should shoot a video of me watching this movie because I'm gonna be literally like cowering in fear the entire time. I know it's the lowest form of entertainment, but uh, <laughs> I feel like that would make a great YouTube video of you just yeah. cowering in a corner. I can't do this. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna be watching Willard next week and let's do um, it rat is attack that a, is that a scar on your neck dave uh 